0: my very, very, very first non-monogamous relationship where it was, you know, the classic story, it was opening up a formerly monogamous relationship and it was just six months of heartache and pain and terrible mistakes and it all imploded and that relationship ended. And when I got to the end of that relationship, I didn't feel that sense of, ooh, failed experiment. Let's let's not try that again, right? I learned my lesson there. I'm just going to retreat back to the safety of monogamy, which some people make that choice and that is the right choice. But I got through that and I remember distinctly feeling, wow, that really sucked and that was really painful. And also I know that I felt more like myself than I've ever felt in my entire life. And what do I need to do to get this better the next time around?
2: Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy.
1: welcome to episode 289. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview, a conversation with the multi-amory crew. All three of them, Dedeker, Emily, and Jace.
2: Yeah, this is this has been a while in the making.
1: It has been, yeah. We
2: just had to wait for them to write a book. <laughs> So anyway, yes, this is an amazing conversation. It is not just about their new book, which we're going to talk about in one second. But it takes lessons from their book, strategies from their book, tools from their book, and weaves it into their personal journey. And we have an amazing conversation. So just a huge ton of thank yous goes out to them for coming on, for sharing, and for for doing it a little bit different with us,
1: yes, their book is called *Multiamory: Essential Tools for Modern Relationships*, and it came out yesterday, which is May twenty third, twenty twenty three. And we're just super excited about their book and Go
2: get your copy
1: and about this conversation.
2: Yeah, we are. We are in no way paid to to wrap <laughs> this stuff. We we checked out the book. We've skimmed through it. We're in the middle of reading it, and it is amazing. And we're super excited that it is. It is practical advice that yes. you can actually apply. It's not it's not theory.
1: Right. And it could actually be applied in any relationship. It there are can. tools that can be applied in any type of relationship.
2: So, bottom line. Go check it out. Go check it out. Thank <laughs> you, Emily, Jace, and Dedeker for coming on, for being amazing, and for doing all of the work you do. If you're not familiar with who these people are or the multi multi-amory podcast, again, we highly recommend checking that out as well. Links to... All of their work are in our show notes over at normalizing nonmonogamy.com. Just click on the podcast tab or in your podcast player show notes, and you will learn everything you could ever want to learn about them. Yes, they have us. They have us by roughly one hundred episodes. They're in the lead with four hundred. We're coming up on three hundred. Yes, so
1: yeah, they do have. They have a little bit of a lead.
2: Not that it's a competition.
1: <laughs> not at all. It's all collaboration. It is. <laughs> And with that, we'll jump into the interview for anyone who is a premium subscriber. And for anyone else, we will do our announcements. If you're not familiar with the premium subscription, you can sign up on our website, normalizingnominogamy.com, on the homepage. Just scroll down a little bit. It's a way to skip these announcements up front and jump right into the interview.
2: But, frankly, you're going to love these announcements. We pour our heart and soul into them every week.
1: We do. We do put a lot of intentionality in them.
2: You think you think this is hard work? Well, the hardest work is we spend six days preparing these intros.
1: <laughs> every week. Every week. Uh, so, anyway. first
2: up... We have a virtual meet and greet. Tonight.
1: Yes, that's tonight, May 24th. We would love to have you join us. Um, These are open to anyone. You just have to be open-minded and respectful. You can sign up at our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the events tab. And for anyone who's not familiar with a virtual meet and greet, it's a way to come and join lots of like-minded people. We give you each a talking point. We send you into breaking breakout rooms for seven, to eight minutes, bring you back, scramble the rooms and do it again. So it's just a fun way to have lighthearted, fun, sometimes more serious conversation with people.
2: And it's fun for us because it's our two hour break from preparing the intros and outros. For-
1: <laughs> yes. Just kidding. That's a lot of preparing. I know. Preparing.
2: I know. Next up, we just wanted to remind you all of our virtual community, which is $5 a month. And it is a space for all of you to come together and support one another. And it is a a virtual space with about 300 members of the non-monogamy and non-monogamy adjacent community from around the world. Again, people show up there every day to support each other share photos, share fun, share laughs, share loves, and even share the hard times. So we've been growing this for the last couple of years. And yeah, we're at about 300 members right now. And we're just grateful to all of you. If you would love to learn more about it, check it out. We would love to have you. We also do monthly video Q&As with the community. We also have a men's group and a women's group. And we also have a weekly men's group right now. And we're maybe maybe working on launching some additional weekly uh, peer support groups as well in the next couple of weeks. So just stay tuned for that. But the point is, if you're looking for your people, we think these are probably your people.
1: Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the community tab. And a huge, huge thank you for anyone to anyone who is part of the community or has been in the past as well. Last but not least, a reminder to check out, as you're meeting new people this summer, our favorite way to get tested for STIs, stdcheck.com. Using the links on our website gets you a discount, and it's only $129 for a 10-panel test. The, using stdcheck.com is our favorite way to get tested. We love it. It's super simple and discreet. So go check it out.
2: Yeah, and using the links on our website does support the show financially, and we are eternally grateful to all of you for that. But I just wanted to drive home the point that this is the service Emma and I use. We absolutely love it. We wouldn't be telling you about it if we didn't think it was great. And I don't think we've actually ever received a single complaint from anybody who's used this service. No, I don't think so. So if you want to send us all of the amazing feedback you have about it. We would love to hear that. And we'd also love to hear if you do have any issues with it. But to date, none that we've ever heard of.
1: Yes, correct. And a reminder to contact us, to give us that feedback or to give us any feedback or to come on the podcast and share your story go to our website and click on the contact us page you can find all of that information there send us an email or send us a voicemail
2: and to be clear you don't have to have written a book or have had a nine-year-long podcast running
1: to come on the podcast
2: correct correct you could just be you
1: yes and with that
2: we'll see you all on the other side of this wonderful conversation with Dedeker, emily and jace
1: let's go Well, welcome to the podcast, Edeker, Jace, and Emily. We're really excited to dive in and talk to all of you today. Thank you for being here.
3: Yeah, thank you for having us.
2: It's yeah, we're we're super excited to talk to the three of you. And your book is just coming out. I think it just came out yesterday, if 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 my if my calendar math in the future is correct. (laughs) And we're just we're excited to talk to the three of you. We've never had all three of you on the show. We've had two of you individually, but to have the Let's say the Triforce. I don't know. Oh, love some, that. For, yeah. Some foreshadowing. Good yes. LTM
0: Reference. Uh, yeah. So yeah, your your future math is correct that by the time this episode comes out, our book will have come out yesterday. And if my future predictions are on point, it was an amazing book launch and <laughs> yes. so successful. Best Everyone loved yep. it. And we are just riding high right now on how <laughs> successful of authors we are.
2: Gosh. <laughs> Excellent. New York Times bestseller. Here, you heard it here mm-hmm. first. Right? Yeah. I love the it. Break,
0: the breaking news on the, the Normalizing Non-Monogamy podcast. <laughs> there
2: you go. I love it. Yeah, we're turning into a 24-hour news service, so we've, we've got a lot <laughs> of just hours a to pivot. fill. it's <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. a pivot for y'all.
2: <laughs> well, maybe a good place to start would be just having each one of you uh, introduce yourselves at whatever level you're comfortable and maybe what your sort of relational ecosystem is personally. And maybe just to keep it simple, we'll go... Dedeker, Emily, Jace.
0: Yeah, sure. So for anyone who doesn't follow our podcast, I mean, we don't do a ton of like life updates or relationship updates on the podcast, but they do come through. It's, It's hard to completely silo that information. So... Yeah, my name is Dedeker Winston. I work as a relationship coach and as a somatic experiencing practitioner in private practice. I've also been co-hosting the Multiamory podcast for almost 9 years now, which is super exciting. And my relational ecosystem, I, I guess the main updates were at the beginning of last year I had a huge breakup of one of my, you know, long-term cohabiting partners or part-time cohabiting partners. That totally rocked my world and threw a lot of things out of whack and then ended up in this weird, I don't want to call it an identity crisis necessarily, but sort of this weird thing where I spent probably about a year essentially like de facto monogamous just with Jace. You know, not like we decided like we're monogamous now or things like that, but it was like an extra level of resentment I had for my ex of like oh, you dumped me and now I'm de facto monogamous? Great. Like, (laughs) great. It wasn't even my choice. My goodness. But it was actually a really good year of just some healing and laying low and reconnecting to myself and like saying all those things that like single people say, but I wasn't technically single. So that was fun. Um, And then kind of just very recently, as in the past few months or so, I kind of like transitioned and like escalated a relationship with a friend and also a former partner of mine of like many, many years. And so now have <laughs> now on the other side, I've been transitioning back into my polyamorous identity and, and kind of reconnecting to that for the first time in over a year. That's my, that's my ecology. Love it. And it's, I love <laughs> that the
2: sort of one of the themes there is transitioning relationships. Cause I think that's one of the things that we wanted to talk to the three of you about in your sort of whole ecosystem, but yeah. More- mm-hmm. We'll get there. We'll get oh, there. Yeah. Pa- pa- <laughs> pa- <foreshadowing>. Patience. <laughs>
0: patience.
2: <laughs> Go for it, Emily.
4: Yeah. I, my name is Emily Matlock, and I have been in, I think, a long-term relationship with these two people for all, a, over a decade now, which is nuts. And by long-term relationship, I mean it has taken many different forms, including being in a monogamous relationship for a while with Jace, then being a tri- in a triad with both Jace and Dedeker. And then moving past that, I, I think I was polyamorous in some form or fashion for about five years, but currently I'm in a monogamous relationship with a long-term partner that I've been with for, uh it will almost be nine years as well. Our relationship is almost exactly as old as the Multiamory podcast is, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, but yeah, I I look at this show... As a place where I am able to take so many of the lessons that I've learned from being non-monogamous and translate them into other areas of my life as well, even though my current relationship structure is that of monogamy, I still get to take all of the lessons that I learned from being non-monogamous for as long as I was and speaking about it on a weekly basis for as long as I have and take that into my life now. So, things like autonomy, things like being able to cultivate and sort of nurture the relationships outside of my, my romantic one. All of those things are super important to me. So at the moment, that's where I'm at. And it's been, you know, it's been great. And I think uh, I still, even though our relationship has taken so many different forms, like these two people are two of the most important people in my life still to this day.
2: Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I think it's the theme too, right? It's the real, like the non-monogamy monogamy, monogamy, it's the, the underlying foundations are really the same in terms of like how to, how to relate to another (laughs) human. And yes, you're, you're adding more of them, but you know, this isn't that we've had a couple of guests on in the past, Emily, who said, you know, we tried out non-monogamy for a little while and it didn't, it wasn't our jam or it was, but it, you know, we're in this phase of life now where it doesn't, really fit. And, but we've taken all these lessons and now we just, we extrapolate them and map them onto monogamy and our monogamous relationship is better. And I think Mm -hmm. that's such a great lesson to take away. So
3: I'm excited to talk more about that too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Go for it, Jace.
3: Yeah. So I'm Jace Lindgren. I'm the third host of the (laughs) Multiamory podcast. And, uh, yeah, I guess, so for me, you know, Emily gave some of that history there initially. Uh, but for me actually, I had a relationship uh, end like right before 2020. And then 2020 happened and you know I was alone in the house for like a year and you know then things still were a little bit rocky opening back up again. And so I actually aside from a few dates two of which turned out to be cool friends that I still have today but none that turned into you know what you'd think of as normally a a romantic relationship. And so I've I've found myself in this interesting situation where because of that, and if I talk to people about it, they'll go, oh, so basically you're monogamous then. And I'm always very quick to be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I think that something that I've said before on our show, but now I'm actually have been living it for a few years, is this idea that monogamy or monogamy and polyamory are not descriptions of how many partners you have, but they're about how you approach your relationship, like what it is that you expect or maybe require from a partner of yours. Uh, so for example, in a relationship where one partner is dating multiple people and the other one isn't, I would almost say that the one who, who isn't dating multiple people, but their partner is, might even be the more polyamorous <laughs> of the two <laughs> or something like that. Not that it's a competition exactly, but uh, but so anyway. So for me, it's very much that uh, I absolutely do not identify as monogamous at all, even though I've only been in a romantic relationship now with Dedeker for the past several years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, aside from those few dates, but the fact that she's now dating someone again—that I'm one cool with that and two it's like oh gosh that's great you finally have somewhere else to go on the weekends
2: right that reminds me we, we had an interview a while back where the 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 woman in the couple was basically when 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 her husband first started dating she was like this is really hard and like maybe four months into it she basically had like this renaissance for herself where like if he canceled the date she was like uh-uh She's like get go out you're, go out you're going out I have a movie picked out I have a bottle of wine and the bath is filling up so you are yeah. leaving get the heck out I, of here I don't here. care where you go but I'm I've got the next couple hours to myself so yeah, I relate. Yes
3: I I, I relate love to that. that so hard yeah. it was that thing that it was a hard transition at first but now it's just I love Having that time to be like, yep, I've got my shows that I want to watch or (laughs) my video games I want to play or whatever it is, right? And I'm so excited about it. So, yeah, yeah, it's such a different, different relationship to alone time than I think a lot of us are used to at first. Yeah.
1: And I love the, the, what you comment on about, you know, that you've been maybe a functionally monogamous relationship, but not, you don't identify as monogamous. And there's people that uh, I've reached or people have reached out to us and talked to us about it. Like they feel like they're doing non-monogamy wrong because they're not dating or they have two partners and that's all they have bandwidth for. And yet they don't feel polyamorous because they aren't like actively seeking out more Mm. partners. And it's like, uh, no, you're, you're not doing anything. There's nothing to fix there. Like just Mm. do it's all, it's about what works for you. Not, not about a certain way that you have to do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think once you also touched on there that the person who's not actively dating maybe is the more non-monogamous one and i actually think that's a really interesting take and i i don't disagree and i want to come back to it but i wanted to maybe just fill the listeners in on what we're going to try to make happen today which is weave in the tools from your book which has come out yesterday obviously right and weave those into sort of your story and the trajectory of the three of you But my guess is it's really going to turn into just a really fun conversation about relationships. And maybe there's some examples, but I definitely want to like pull in some of the high level tools because I think one of the things that I loved about, I skimmed through the book uh, over the last few days is it's not high level, or I'm sorry, it's not like theoretical, it's not a bunch of theory. It's like, here's a tool and here's how you use that tool. Here's how we use that tool. And here's some examples of that. And I think that it's a really practical guide is awesome. And so I think being able to hear how you, you three have used some of those in your own journeys, or maybe where you didn't. And you're like, maybe we should have, those Mm -hmm. are also great, great experiences. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, maybe just going back, I know Emily mentioned the three of you were in various relational ecosystems together and What, what did that journey for the three of you look like maybe in just, you know, a couple, a couple of minutes, what that trajectory looked like? Because I think the ability to transition a relationship from romance or sex to business partnership is one that you, I mean, you hear it all the time, right? Don't ever go into business with your family or your friends. Like don't ever do it. And here you are nine years later.
0: (laughs) I, I, okay. Just to speak to that piece. I think the three of us just got extremely lucky in finding each other. Because again, if I think about myself nine years ago in my mid-twenties, and if I was, you know, if I was coming to me to be like, I think I'm going to start a podcast and we're going to turn that into a business with these two people that have only just been no, have been known for less than a year. Not to mention dating for less than a year. I'm gonna, you know, start investing my time and energy and money into that. Like the advice I would have given my younger self is like, uh, maybe to take some time, maybe think about that, get to know these people a little bit more before you jump into that. But no, I, I think back then, at the time that the three of us met, I mean, the three of us had already been on our own individual non-monogamy journeys at that point like none of us were the catalyst for starting this journey by any means you know i had a primary partner that i was living with and it was my primary partner who met emily through okcupid and they started dating and so then that's how i met jace and jace and i started dating you know and the i think at the time we were still in those big heady days of wow this is all new and it's scary but also exciting and it's fun and these possibilities i don't think any of us had even considered the possibility of something like a quad or a triad before but we were like wow it's great it seems like it's working it seems like we all get along this is fantastic and it, i think that i mean maybe the two of you would disagree with me emily and jace but i, I think we brought a lot of unintentionality to creating that relationship. Yeah. Yeah, Like completely not the way that I would approach this at all. You know, I think nowadays if I was staring down the barrel of a possible quad relationship or triad relationship or whatever, I'd be like, okay, we need to sit down. We got to have meetings. (laughs) We got to get the Google calendars at play. We need to talk about expectations. Got to talk about boundaries, all these things. But no, we just kind of jumped into it. I think like you do with things when you're young and optimistic. And You know, ultimately the podcast was born out of that. Like, initially we wanted to create a podcast with all four of us in the quad, but then the fourth member didn't, wasn't really interested in joining the podcast. So the three of us were like, fine, we'll do it. And, you know, we had to navigate. How do we work together? How do we communicate with each other when we're all in relationship with each other? And then not only that, but like towards the beginning of the podcast was when all this shit started to fall apart. You know, quads are notoriously unstable. And that's when shit started hitting the fan when it started being like, oh this isn't fun or new or shiny or exciting. Now there's all these things we didn't account for all of these resentments that weren't voiced, all these boundaries that weren't expressed that we're just bumping into and it's all falling apart, but somehow we're still going to keep meeting and recording a podcast together. And so I, I will, I mean, I don't think any of us would disagree in that. It was freaking hard to navigate that.
4: Yeah, especially in that first year of things sort of ramping up and then falling apart. It definitely was a challenge to kind of work past that and through it and know that you still wanted to produce something to the world and put it out there and keep doing that in spite of maybe the heartache that you're feeling and the challenge that you're going through And a lot of help with that just occurred over a long period of time. And also discussing relationships on a weekly basis, I will say, helped a ton because we were able to implement some of those tools into that time in our lives, which was really difficult, and continue to use them as time went on. Because, you know, I I honestly don't think that we would have been able to get through it had we not been doing a relationship podcast you know, in general, just because we were getting to learn right along with our listeners, and we still do, but especially during that super tumultuous time, how important that was.
0: It could have been really different if we happened to be running like a sports betting podcast or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Right.
4: Well, I think
2: it's I think it's amazing that you didn't just shut it down and say, "Well, this is yeah. hard. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to walk away," because it it was the sandbox that let the three of you explore and then it in a, in so many ways it was a gift to everybody else to let them watch the three of you struggle and learn mm-hmm. from your mistakes i mean that's that's a pretty generous gift to give people right we're we're in the hardest maybe the hardest thing we've ever done relationally and we're going to keep that public so everybody else can learn from that i think that's pretty admirable from from my perspective
3: i think it also comes down to the fact that we had such a such a bad experience in addition to having the great experience of having met each other mm-hmm. and having that good connection. But
1: yeah.
3: having all of that, I think gave us a lot of perspective on how it can also go really wrong. Even when you think like this, this shouldn't be this hard or this shouldn't be this terrible. It gave us a lot of perspective on that. And it makes me think about something about teachers where... Like, if you think about you're going to learn to play violin and you think, I want to have the best teacher I could have. So I'm going to find this person who's a prodigy. And they've just, the first time they picked up a violin, they were brilliant at it. (laughs) That person's not going to be a very good teacher because Mm. they didn't have to learn it in the same way that you will or that most people do. And so I think the fact that we hit a lot of those struggles and we made a lot of those mistakes helps us to have built. Better tools and to work with more people on how to avoid some of those problems than if it's like, oh yeah, it's just always been easy for us. I don't know. I've never experienced jealousy. I don't know.
4: I've never. Who are these people who are just so amazing at relationships? (laughs) Right off the bat,
0: it it does make me think of my very, very, very first non-monogamous relationship, where it was, you know, the classic story. It was opening up a formerly monogamous relationship, and it was just six months of heartache and pain and terrible mistakes, and it all imploded, and that relationship ended. And when I got to the end of that relationship, I didn't feel that sense of, ooh, failed experiment. Let's let's not try that again, right? I learned my lesson there. I'm just going to retreat back to the safety of monogamy, which some people make that choice, and that is the right choice. But I got through that and I remember distinctly feeling, wow, that really sucked and that was really painful. And also, I know that I felt more like myself than I've ever felt in my entire life. And what do I need to do to get this better the next time around? And I think with the three of us, there was probably some piece of that at play as well, that you know, when it was all falling apart or it was all really difficult, that there wasn't this sense of well, I want to toss these people in the garbage or don't want to deal with anything having to do with relationships to these people ever again. Like, I I do think there was still this motivating sense of, okay, how do we make this better? How do we avoid this the next time around? How do we avoid this in our other relationships? And I think the three of us being people who are very, learning motivated and who also are like perfectionists to a fault that I don't know. That probably motivated. Like we got to keep learning. We got to keep researching. We got to keep making the podcast and like figuring this stuff out. Yeah.
2: I can still relate to that mentality. Like it, it might break me, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to make this better.
1: Yeah, we may be living that We, we have no, right no now doubt about that. Oh,
2: gosh. <laughs> well, I, I think too, something that popped into my brain while you were saying that Dedeker is the idea that going through something hard with somebody or even a hurt or a rupture in the relationship, if you're doing that with somebody or some buddies who are willing to do that work with you and willing to engage in how do we repair, how do we move forward? You can actually come out on the other side of that stronger than when you went in and in building a stronger connection and more intimacy because you've, yeah, you're not just running around in NRE, you've tested it. You've said, Hey, we're, we, 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 you know, our shit does stink sometimes. And <laughs> and we're we, we're gonna we learn that about each other, you know, and and now we're on the other side and we've got some scars, but we're stronger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely some scars for sure, and definitely some strength for sure. And something that I've started doing in the past couple of years is in my own practice, I've been working increasingly more and more with triads. You know, whether whether that's, you know, groups of three that are actually like a you know, a V with a hinge partner or actual triads. And so much of the work comes down to taking inventory of, okay, what needs to be worked out in which relationship and what needs to be worked out between the three of us. And I think the three of us, I I don't think we did this intentionally because again, at that time in our baby podcaster polyamory days, it was a a lot of very unintentional stuff, but we ended up doing that work in some form or fashion, right? Because like, Jason. I had stuff to work out in our relationship. Me and Emily had stuff to work out in our relationship. Emily and Jace had stuff to work out in their relationship. And then the three of us had stuff to work out together. And that was an ongoing process for several years. That wasn't just a couple of conversations, you know, but I I think being able to do that helped, right. You Mm -hmm. know, it helped us to survive.
4: And it's a good reminder that within groups of people, there's still the dyadic relationship that you have with Mm -hmm. each other as well. Like, I think my relationship with both Jason Dedeker has expanded and grown so much, even from the time that I was dating them. And it's really cool to get to experience in real time, like... Jason's asleep. And so Dedeker and I are going to like stay up until 1am talking about whatever. And we (laughs) got to do that recently and it was really awesome. And likewise, you know, Jason and I have a, a lot of history as well. And so we're able to discuss things that are intimate to us. And I think both of those things are really incredible and a good reminder that your relationships can evolve and grow and change over time. And it doesn't just have to look one way. It can look any way that you want it to. And we talk a lot, it didn't make its way into the book, but we talk a lot about the relationship anarchy smorgasbord. And that's something that I think is beneficial for people in relationships of all kinds to use, because they can really sit down and say, this is what I want to bring to our relationship. And these are the things that I don't necessarily want to have in this relationship but the ability to pick and choose is so beneficial.
3: Yeah. So something to bring it back to what we ended up putting in the book is that these are not things that we just came up with for this book, but they were various tools that we came up with in our own lives and shared on the Mm -hmm. podcast and got feedback from listeners and saw what were the ones that really made a difference for people. And I think the thing I wanted to hit on with that is that they were things that most of them grew out of some sort of challenge that we found in our own lives. And we looked at, you know, how can we do research on this? Or I've heard other people have this problem too. How can we figure out a way to go about solving that and then working on that and refining it, but then also getting feedback from our listeners of what worked for them and what didn't. Cause I think it's very easy to like, okay, maybe here's an example. Um, (laughs) when it comes to, you know, tempers are are getting high, or maybe Dedeker and I have started irritating each other or something (laughs) like that. There's that thing that many of you in relationships know of like, it'll either keep going up, up, up to, you know, now we're in a big fight, or there's kind of that moment where you get to diffuse it before it gets to there. And... We actually just did this earlier today when we were both grumpy about lunch, actually, or <laughs> breakfast. It was, uh, and we basically there's this quote from Wayne's World that we do to each <laughs> other, which is one of them says, "Sorry about what it did, buds," and the other person says, "Buds," Aww. and it's like <laughs> silly, ridiculous little thing because we watched Wayne's World during the pandemic, as you know, to rewatch that one, and so. The easy version would be to say, hey, we've got a tool to help de-escalate your your fights. It's to use this quote from Wayne's World. (laughs) Like That's not a very universally applicable (laughs) tool, right? That's like the, the, we didn't do any work after. Oh, we did something that worked for us. Cool. This should work for everyone, right? Because everyone's the same as us, right? And so instead, we took those and tried to find what are the core pieces of that. And in that case, it's uh, microscripts is what that is. And that's chapter four in the book. But talking about finding those sorts of things for yourself. And it doesn't always have to be a quote from a movie. It could even be something nonverbal. But finding these ways to kind of short-circuit patterns you find yourself going down. And that's something that the three of us use all the time, not just with each other, but also as a group of like, okay, even professionally, this is an issue. Can we make a microscript to help with this? And so it's just been so cool to make things that we also use ourselves you know
0: and to do the multi-amory treatment on it which is we're not just gonna give you lip service of like oh do this because we think it works and so it should work but actually looking into like literally the research of the science like why does this work looking into things like idiosyncratic language which is just super super fascinating and being able to include that in the book so that all of this feels maybe a little bit more grounded
2: yeah and i love that and i think the the piece there of it sort of becomes a play on the inside joke between the two of you, right? Where totally. you could do that in public and you could diffuse a you could diffuse an argument at dinner in front of 30 people and people <laughs> might not even know what happened. Right. But you right. two, you two had that moment of repair that then brought you closer together. I think yeah. that's, that's fun. And I, and I know we, I, I'm sure, I've been sitting here trying to think like, I know we do that. Cause it's, it's sort of that almost like eating crow moment of like, I need to apologize and I I want to do it, but I want to do it in like a, maybe a little bit of a lighthearted way and, and just mm-hmm. to remind each other. And, and yeah, so it's, it's not like the, I'm so sorry. I was such a, uh, but it's like, Hey, like, what are we doing? Why, you know, why did we, how did we get here? Right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that example, Jace. And I also was curious. So just to bring it back a little bit to the to the evolution of your of your story uh the three of you started well kind of were four of you for a little bit started three of then three of you transitioned that and it took sounds like multiple years in that form stumbling and learning and doing the podcast and figuring all that out and kind of what was next where did it go from there
0: a, a wildly successful podcast, and here
1: we are today. <laughs> yes, that was a simple answer.
0: <laughs> so we're we're just four years
2: away, Emma. Years there away. you go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, no, I don't know because yeah, I there. I don't know. It was that weird thing where I don't think there was a specific moment of. Well, this is how we're going to label our relationship now, and that's what the next stage of this is. Mm-hmm. It's grown into this. Funny. I mean, the tongue in cheek term that I always use to describe the three of us is like we're this emotionally bonded triad that's co parenting a podcast baby together, where it's not quite that we're just business like co owners of a business or co hosts or co authors, but we're also really close friends, but we're also family. I mean, you know, both these people are in my my will, you know, and our beneficiaries on my retirement accounts and and things like that, you know, where I I don't know. I I think that for the three of us, it's been a really nice lived example of the way that chosen family can work and can look. I mean, we sometimes tell the joke like with our business about how, yes, we're we're not a family business. We're a chosen family business.
2: (laughs) 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 I love it. I love it. I I would love to, to to talk maybe a little bit. You 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 mentioned Dedicare at the beginning that you sort of the three of you jumped in, or I think it was four of you at that point jumped in. Just hey, we're just going to do it. Don't worry about the rules and the boundaries and all of that. And you're here, right? So I think you you also said, well, maybe if I would go back, I would have done it different. But I think the results also speak for themselves that, Mm -hmm. that you, you can do it both ways. You can probably sit down and and make a relationship agreement. That's, you know, a tome, or Mm -hmm. you can jump in and maybe the, maybe somewhere in the middle is where probably a lot of people fall. But I, I think I'm not sure exactly what the question is here, other than the sort of around how you think the three of you were able to do it sort of, ad hoc, like figure it out as you go, because I mean, that's frankly, that's what we've done. Um, We, I mean, we were non-monogamous for about a decade before we kind of transitioned into polyamory. And even though at that point we had had a podcast for years and we'd been talking to people for years and we, we knew all the books existed. We still kind of just jumped in blind and we're like, ah, we'll figure it out. We're, we're good people. We'll and we're we're hanging out with good people. So we'll all just be good people to each other. And I think that's true. And we actually we had a, a couple on a couple of weeks ago and their their only rule when they got started was don't get yourself killed and don't be an asshole. And <laughs> I think good. I Those think that's great. <laughs> but don't be an asshole leaves so much room for interpretation. And I'm a long, long, winding question is how do you thread the needle of setting rules, setting boundaries, but giving people the freedom to like be who they are? How, how did the three of you do that? Or how do you continue to do it?
3: I think one piece I want to clarify right out the gate is, and Dedeker, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but when you were talking about your advice would have been different, that was more about getting into business with these people, right. not about starting a relationship. Sure enough. Because... uh, Because something that we talk about a lot on the show is this idea that there's this temptation to try to come up with enough Mm -hmm. guidelines or rules or or boundaries or whatever you're going to call them that is going to avoid any problems. And it's just not realistic. Like that's just not possible. And I sometimes give the analogy of even our legal system, which I think most people think of the legal system as this very black and white, there is a law, there is a rule, whatever. But actually the way a lot of laws are written are intentionally a little bit ambiguous because there is this understanding that you can't know every extenuating circumstance of every situation that could ever happen when you're making this. That's just literally an impossibility. And so when it comes to getting into relationships, I I would say that we would not come down on the side of you should really plan this and structure this first. And I think the reason why we all smiled and enjoyed that rule of don't be an asshole is because I think it gets to the heart of the idea that the rule itself isn't the thing, but the intention and what you're trying to do is, is what really matters. And it still might not work out but that it does kind of get across that idea that you're not just going to make this set of rules. That's going to avoid all your problems. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. The, the three of us, I think are so good at this point at diffusing any issues that come up. And part of that is just simply because we've taken a long time to go through, you know, the podcast and our time together. And we know sometimes how to push each other's buttons, but also to move in the opposite direction of that and repair. Unpush them? Unpush them, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) undepress the button, yeah. And I think that we always know that we have good intention, like Jay said, and that's a really big thing. And if there is an issue, we can talk about it. And I think that's something that we were able to figure out pretty early on in our relationship, is that even if something comes up, we can really do the work to fix it. And it doesn't need to be life altering necessarily or completely derail the relationship. And I think that's super, super important. And one of the big reasons why we were able to make it work for as long as we have, even back when things were shit, we were working through it kind of in real time. And I don't think that that's for everyone. A lot of people would have needed more time off and away from the people that they just got out of a relationship with. Uh, and we didn't get the opportunity to do that because we were needing to continue a business together. And I think maybe, I don't know, it, maybe it really wouldn't have worked out as well had we taken that time off from one another. Instead, we really had to like get down in the mud and just deal with it. And it was good, and I think it it really has produced something stronger in the long run. So it, but that intention is huge for us.
3: But I think being intentional with that time, like you're saying, Emily, and focusing on looking at, you know, what are strategies, what can we learn, what can we apply to make this better rather than, we're just going to force ourselves to keep hanging out, even sure. <laughs> though it's miserable, right? That the, the hanging out we were doing was also very focused on, let's learn about relationships and talk about relationships and share about relationships. And I think that part was, was key, right? That, that we were actually looking at, how can we better understand this thing and find practical ways to apply it for ourselves that then often we would try something ourselves for like a year before we would talk about it on the show or at least for a while to really see is there something here? What are the exceptions we didn't think about at first when we read about this in an article or when we came up with this idea? You know, How can we put this to the test? And then you know, the second test of having other people do it, of course. But I think just for ourselves, it's that. It's like being proactive and intentional rather than just kind of forcing yourself into the situation over and over again, that's painful.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the current that's run through our show and is also run through the book is, it's a couple of main pillars that we tend to come back to. You know, one of them is looking at what are the ways that the, you know, non-monogamous community is not being served? What are the resources that people do not have access to? What are the tools that people need? Like what are the problems that people are running up against again and again? And is there some way that we can hack this or experiment with this or try this on to see if this fills a particular need? So like that's one part of it. And then the other part of what we've done for so long is looking at, well, what is the relationship research that's mostly focusing on heterosexual married couples what is a lot of the socially acceptable advice and wisdom that again is centering mostly people in monogamous relationships and is there actual wisdom there that can be translated and tested to see does this still hold up in a non-traditional relationship of some kind right like that's really the bulk of what we're constantly doing and so it's for me I think about it it's constantly kind of just like really I I want to be Combining the best of both worlds, right? Because I do think that there is a really good compendium of knowledge and wisdom that comes out of a culture that supported monogamy for so long and has had to figure out how to make monogamy feel good for so long for so many people. Like, I think there's a lot of really good wisdom and advice out there. And also, there's all this wisdom of the lived experience of people in non traditional relationships. And so, we're constantly trying to knit those things together, to compare and contrast them, to see, like, how do both these things fit together in the ecosystem? How can both these things be benefiting each other at the same time?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I love that. And I, I also love that this book and the work that you do isn't necessarily specific to non-monogamy. Like, it can be, it's applied to any relationship. And yet, I love that you took, you know, there is a, a lot more I don't know mainstream information on on the monogamous heterosexual couples and like using that testing it and like, does this hold up in other relationship structures like that's yeah like it's all about just learning how to relate to other humans at the end of the day
2: well and, and one of the things to, to tie into that i've i think and, and we had a quote just in the episode that came out a few days ago or a few months ago now, but anyway, uh, (laughs) podcast, podcast time math. But the, the point was that, that I think the exact quote was all relationships could benefit from the skills that non-monogamy forces you to use and forces you to learn. And I think the skills and the tools that that have been laid out here, they do map to a monogamous relationship and pretty much all of them, but a lot of times in a monogamous relationship, you can get by, you can kind of fly under the radar. You're not necessarily, you don't get put to the test in the same way you do in a triad or a quad. And I think even in some ways in parallel polyamorous relationships, and it and it sounds like the three of you all came to the triad or to the quad with some poly experience, And still got your worlds turned upside down a little bit.
3: Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. Oh,
4: yeah. Correct. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, because as I've, I mean, I already lived it, having lived through a couple of different triad relationships, a couple of different configurations. And now I think I'm getting a near daily reminder of it. Now that I'm working with more triads, like specifically (laughs) like this, this is, I mean, non-monogamy can already be hard mode for so many people. And this is just like extra hard mode. Mm -hmm. And not to say that that means it's not worthy of trying or doing, but it is just like, there's, there's more chess involved. (laughs) (laughs) There's more chess involved.
2: Well, and some days you just wake up and you're there. And I know that sounds crazy to say, but it's someday you're just like, well, wait a minute, we've been hanging out a lot. And mm. I think that this is, whoa, boy, what's happened? And and you're <laughs> before you know it, you're in a triad. And I know it sounds crazy to think that that could happen, but we've talked to enough people that oh, we Oh, the know number I of can... accidental
0: triads oh, or accidental yeah. quads, oh, yeah. for sure, oh, yeah. for sure. Yep. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: Because, uh, yeah, there, there's still yet to be. The dating app that's going to match three people together, right? (laughs) Where million dollar idea could be it could be a great (laughs) idea, but where I think there's not quite yet the developing market of like single people who are interested in a triad and you know want to meet each other in that way. It's Mm -hmm. still I think it is still a lot of these sort of accidental meetings Mm -hmm. and connections.
3: Yeah, I did want to say that I think in general with non monogamy, part of what makes it really challenging is that. We don't have these kind of default patterns to fall back on in the same way that we do in monogamy. So, when you bring up that idea of these skills you are forced to learn being non monogamous, are actually skills that everyone in monogamous relationships really should have and would benefit from. Yep. But, <laughs> yeah. and I, and I, what I want to avoid is the idea that, well, it's because monogamy is easier. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't really think that it is, but. Yeah we've got so many more examples of it and so many more patterns and so many more resources to support it that we can kind of keep it going with just sort of like duct tape mm-hmm. and stuff because there's just more of those resources to help us do that. And I would say it doesn't make those relationships good because I don't actually think it's easier. But there's just, I don't know, it's like like you're able to kind of keep it keep it running somehow just because there's more resources for it. And, that's, and part of that comes up with looking into relationship advice and those things like Dedeker was talking about, the kind of cultural wisdom and a lot of the research and the studies that are all done on monogamous people and almost always done on heterosexual people. That, yeah, those tools are great and you can learn a lot from them, but as someone who doesn't fit that same pattern of who the advice is for, you're constantly having to do this little bit of extra mental translation mm-hmm. as you're reading it and trying to understand it of, okay, what parts of that could apply to me, though? You know, okay, how can I, How what parts of that still apply in this different situation? And that's frustrating, right? That's That's like this little extra barrier to getting the benefits from those things that we just don't even think about because it's so normal. And so that was something that we really sought to do in our book is that this book is not a manual about non-monogamy. This is not how to be non-monogamous. It's not how to open up your relationship. There are plenty of books that cover that specifically, one of which is Dedeker's book, The Smart Girl's Mm -hmm. Guide to Polyamory, uh, which I still think is a fantastic book. Uh, But this one is more of a general, these are tools for all kinds of relationships but where the people who come into this as non-monogamous or queer or trans or something get to actually see themselves in the examples and get to see stories about them rather than being this afterthought. And oh yeah, and maybe for non-monogamy too, you do the translation yourself. Uh, That that's something that we really strive to do on our podcast now and also really tried to put into the book.
0: And I I wanted to give a more specific example of that those those kind of like translation mental gymnastics that you have to do so for instance i did the couples therapy training through the Gottman institute which you know do a lot of solid research love a lot of their resources but they're also really imperfect Mm -hmm. they have not been great about dealing with non-monogamous relationships and in their training When they're talking about how to work with couples where there's been infidelity or an affair, they're very prescriptive in the sense that like, well, this is what has to happen. The person who committed the affair needs to cut off all contact with the other person. The person who was the victim of the affair needs to be able to ask any question they want, be able to look at text messages, be able to look at emails, be able to get any information they want, and then you can start on the repair process, right? And I think that that framework probably has worked for some couples somewhere (laughs) at some time. But when I'm working with a non-monogamous couple, where you can feel like there's been a betrayal, there's been a breach of trust, maybe you even feel like you've been cheated on, but it's not based on the fact that you slept with somebody else. Maybe it's like, you lied about one piece of this, or you set up a different expectation. I didn't think that was going to happen. Or my metamor was actually really mean to me. you know. And so someone's a couple is working through that a sense of how do we heal this breach of trust, I can't just take them through this framework of, okay, we'll cut out this other partner that you have and then let your partner see all your text messages and stuff like that. And especially a lot of couples would not want that, right? They're like, no, we are happily non-monogamous. It's just we need to work through this particular pain. And there's not a ton of schools of therapy that are creating resources around that. Right. So it's like, that's something I have to do in my job is like, okay, from this very particular Gottman exercise, what are the relevant parts for addressing this pain? You know, when they're talking about, let this person see all the text messages. I'm like, what is that actually getting to? What is it like? What's the stand in that I can put in there that doesn't involve completely violating their privacy or doesn't involve them having to just like dump this person and throw them in the garbage. Right. So that's just one example of the ways that we have to take these tools and these approaches that leave out any other relationship format and really try to get to the guts of them and then reapply them to these other relationships.
1: Yeah. Great example.
2: Yeah. And I was, as you were, as you were saying that, i like thinking we, we interviewed a couple pretty early on where she the, actually their sort of entrance into non-monogamy was she had an affair and then he went and had lunch with the guy and invited him to have a threesome because wow. she was yeah. com- she's like he's like well hey she obviously is into you you're comfortable together what what, what better way and so like that probably wasn't in the gottman manual actually oh, I, no. I know that was- <laughs> I happen Thank to know I that one. I mean, it yeah. maybe the
0: next edition we'll yeah.
2: see yeah, <laughs> yeah, revised revised and updated for post pandemic uh, yeah but i think the to me some of the the stuff that sits at the core of of all of this is getting rid of assumptions of right somebody cheated here's the way you deal with that like there isn't a way there are a million ways that people could choose to deal with that and I I think just kind of looking at the like the table of contents for your book and a handful of the tools or many of them really just try to blow away assumptions. I mean, the, I mentioned Triforce earlier, the Triforce of communication, right? We're going to sit down and have a conversation rather than just assuming Emma knows what I want. I come to her and say, Emma, I need to tell you some stuff. All I want you to do, can you just listen, right? And she's not sitting there going, how do I help? Oh my God, this is the world's hardest problem. I couldn't. And, but she knows, like, I don't have to help. I'm just here to listen. This is easy. And I think <laughs> it's just getting rid of assumptions of how we're supposed to do things or this is the way they're done. And, and JC said, like, yeah, monogamy isn't easier. I agree, but it's easier to make a whole bunch of assumptions. Yes. And those assumptions don't often bite you in the ass as hard as they do when there's two, three, four other partners and you're like, Well, I don't know, I just put it in coast mode and then I realize like, Well, I just screwed over three other people because I was just coasting. Like the ability to set set it and forget it is a is a rare thing, I think, and not monogamy.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No crockpot relationships here. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Fortunately slash unfortunately. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And then actually I thought as you all were talking a little bit ago, I thought of just a, a kind of a fun question of you all do this podcast and wrote this book and do uh, a do relationship coaching. And it's like really all relationship all of the time. And It's, it's so much like as Um, as people who who live that as well. And, and it's, it's like, sometimes I'm like, I don't want to think about it. I just, (laughs) I just want to, I just want to do like, go and walk a dog that's like, it's just something different. But
2: you have to let the dog know, <laughs> yeah. is this walk for fun or is this walk for business? We don't just.
1: Yeah. And so I'm just curious how you, how you three handle that because it's something that we live every day and are, are, are struggling with as well. Cause it's, it's awesome and really difficult.
0: Okay. Well, I, I will just jump in. I think all three of us probably have a different <laughs> answer of how we cope with that, but yes. Very much a thing for sure, especially because since I'm also working with clients, right? So it's literally, if I'm not podcasting about relationships, I'm working on other people's relationships or I'm having a check-in in in my own relationship. You know, yeah, relationships all day, all the time. And I I don't know, it's something that I've been chewing on. For me, it's a constant balancing act, trying to figure that out. And I find there's kind of two different feelings that come up in me one that's more negative and one that's more positive so for instance a couple of weeks ago we were presenting at podcast movement in vegas and uh you know met some people who had listened to the show and hung out with them and then like and this happens and this happens not infrequently right that like people who are familiar with the show or even just our friends or acquaintances may start to open up about relationship stuff or about their non monogamy journey or things like that And there's a part of me that just checks out, right? Where I'm just like, I'm sorry, the empathy tank is empty. Can't listen to you. I mean, I'll be polite and I'll nod, you know, but I just like, I I can't generate any advice or any opinion or any thoughts. Like, I'm just like a little bit disassociating my way through it because I'm just like, this is already too much of my life. But then on the other hand, you know, recently in my own personal orbit, I've had multiple friends family members going through relationship stuff and who sometimes have turned to me with questions or just wanting someone to listen and thankfully my experience is that everyone is aware of what I do for a living and they're like you know aware of boundaries and not wanting to overburden me and stuff like that but I realized the other day that I actually get a lot of joy out of that because sometimes it feels like my job is just practice for being able to show up and be a good friend or -hmm. a good family member, you know, to have the skills to listen and to know what questions to ask and to just kind of hold that space for somebody. So I suppose for me, it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I love that answer. And I think it's pretty similar for me as well. It is kind of a thrill to be able to sit there and talk to someone who is either an acquaintance or a close friend and be able to say to yourself, hey, I do kind of know what I'm talking about in this moment. And I do (laughs) have, you know, a big, I I guess, bandwidth to discuss these things and also a backlog of information for almost a decade of learning and using it in my own relationships. But I, I know that the three of us also have a really hard time turning off the work and Mm -hmm. we're not great at that that's definitely something that we are working on and so i do think that it's challenging because if you own your own business in any way it's like when when does it stop when does the time to turn it off and put it down ever come and you really do have to put those personal boundaries into place to say no today i really am not going to pick up you know, the the computer and do some editing or do uh, some emails or something. Uh, and that's easier said than done because I, I still usually find a way to just work even on my days off. But, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can imagine <laughs> that the two of you are similar in that fashion. My 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 days off are editing because it's the most mindless
2: task I can do. So uh. I can just I can just sit and be like, well, it's a Saturday afternoon. I'll edit because that's my like. It's the least intense. Yeah, like, yeah. I,
1: requires the least amount of brain power. <laughs> yeah.
2: I can so relate to that, Emily.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that for me, it's it's interesting because on the one hand, like relationships and helping people feel I guess like heard and seen and like they're not alone to me like really energizes me and fires me up but also is like emotionally exhausting and draining and I find that for myself my day job uh, is not you know not coaching it's not a relationship specific type thing however it is very much relationship based with all the people around me and so I find myself really still thinking about all those things and actually finding new ways to apply some of you know some of our tools and some of our ways of thinking about relationships in a more uh, corporate America type mm-hmm. working environment as well. and it is interesting to see how those apply there. Um, what I will say as far as just the getting exhausted by it is, with the, all three of us, we will try to have times together where we have sort of a clear: we're not going to talk about work for this time. And sometimes we have to scold each other about it, like "Stop! Put your phone down! <laughs> don't! I see you reading an email. You know, don't. Let's not do that right now." Uh, which is is challenging, but I think it is helpful to at least have some breaks from always being on in that way and and also being able to explore our connections with each other in different ways. Like for a while, Emily and I were doing weekly uh, video calls where we would talk about music theory. Yeah. It was like, there's another thing that we're both interested in. Let's do that so that we kind of have something besides just talking about podcasting or relationships.
2: Yeah. Which is hard when you're so passionate and enthusiastic about both of those things that it... It sometimes For me, right, it doesn't often feel like work to sit and brainstorm the next greatest idea because I can get lost <laughs> in it for like four or five hours. And then you're like, well, yeah, but it, it was work. And now we didn't talk about that vacation that we were thinking about or that other mm-hmm. thing that was going on that it, it, it can get overshadowed. So, yeah, I can relate to that. I, I
0: think something that's a benefit, though, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, is I never... Have the burden of that question of is the work that I'm doing meaningful or necessary? Is there a purpose to this work? Because there's just so much relationship suffering. In the world and and not to make a claim like we're some kind of bastions of enlightenment like not like we're jesus coming to save the world
4: but it's certainly not it's it's, there's
0: just such a need there's such a need regardless of your relationship format like so many people are suffering or even just are confused or have questions or feel alone there's such a need to be talking about these things
1: yeah well as humans we all need connection right and that's Mm -hmm we need connection and therefore, you know, there's a lot of issues and problems and troubles and struggles that go along with that. And I think so often in mainstream culture and just our society over the years, sometimes that can just be like, oh, that's not like, that's not, we don't need to think about that. Like it's more important to do X, Y, or Z. And it's like, oh no, 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 hang on here. (laughs) Like we kind of, this is all really, 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 really important too.
2: Yeah. yeah, I love all those answers. I think they're all better than the answer of, we don't
3: actually use any of these tools,
2: so we don't actually have <laughs> do yeah, that burned out on them. We just, we made these for you.
3: Yeah, this isn't this isn't for us. <laughs> yeah, as soon as we're done podcasting, we just get drunk and high. And, and, and,
4: and, yeah.
3: and it's just arguing,
2: arguing, arguing, and then oh, we can right. out. Uh, I love it. Well, I would love to give you a few minutes to definitely talk about the book a little more directly and how it came to be and what people can expect from it and then i might have a few thoughts on it because a lot of these things come up in our in our community as well Mm -hmm. and just to throw a little weight behind some of these tools but go go for it whoever the three of you want to share like how we how you wound up from random uh, accidental quad to book nine years
0: <laughs> <ago>. That <laughs> classic pathway. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Maybe profit somewhere in the middle <laughs> or somewhere on the other end of that. I don't know. Yeah. So I think what's super exciting to me in particular about the book is, now this may surprise some folks hearing this, but we very intentionally set out not to write a non-monogamy 101 manual. Mm-hmm. Not because we didn't think that we could or that that wasn't interesting to us, but not only has the show become much more expansive than that, but also there's so many other non monogamy 101 manuals that are great. You know, like so many other people have done that already. And I would like to believe that this is a little bit of going beyond the 101 into some of the 201 stuff of like, here's some of the functional tools that'll actually help make your relationships feel better. Again, not just. Theory, but the practice as well. So, something that I know really motivated us was this idea of like, what if there was a relationship book, a communication book that wasn't just about non monogamy and just about how to make it work, but like still included non monogamy. Again, I think like what Jace was expressing earlier, the idea like, what if I could recreate the experience of I pick off the shelf the newest Gottman book. But there's non-monogamy examples in it, along with the you know, traditional marriage examples. And like to me, that feels really impactful. That feels like a step towards normalization, towards this place being, I don't know, just a more comfortable world to live in for all of us relationship weirdos, you know. <laughs> so again, as we were writing the book, same thing with Producing the podcast, it's always trying to think about like who's normally left out of the conversation and how can we bring them in, but not in a way that means that we have to be like, oh, and we put you, weirdo, horrible, toxic monogamy people over here because we want nothing to do with your kind, which unfortunately happens, right? Like Mm -hmm. the same way that many, not all, but many monogamous people can see the non monogamous weirdos and be like, ew, get that away from me. That's scary. I don't like that. That's dangerous we see a lot in the non-monogamy community of like, oh, those unenlightened monogamous people, what's wrong with them? Like, can't they just get over themselves and become more well-adjusted like we are? And so, I don't know. I, I think that that's, um, that's at least something that's underlying the way that we wrote about the communication tools that we put in the book was trying to create that blended space. Mm-hmm.
2: I want to I say thank you for that because I think the exactly what you said the divide between us and them i mean look at any aspect of life that's what we do right we divide ourselves and then we pit ourselves against each other and nobody wins and so writing a book that says hey this is this will actually help all of you all of us all of us right that we use it the three of us use it and and we know that these tools work um so i i appreciate that
4: anything you would add emerges? Yeah, I think initially the book, it it took many different iterations. It took many different forms. Uh, initially, it was just going to be a short manual about radar, which is sort of our container for relationship discussions that you can do on a monthly basis or a biweekly basis just to sort of give yourselves a state of the union. And that ended up being uh, chapter seven of the book. And then we were thinking maybe we should just try to do a little manual for almost every single episode that we've done. And that sort of turned into our greatest hits. It turned into the things that we reference over and over again on the show. And we saw that we had, you know, seven different things that we discuss on a maybe weekly basis or that we discuss over and over again in the show and that's what became the book. And then we also have like a short section in the back that it are tools that other people have created as well. And those tools we reference over and over again, too. So it's a nice kind of blend of things that we've done and then things that other people have done while also incorporating a lot of quotes from people in the non-monogamous community as well, because we want to kind of give back in that way and show how many people out there have really great things to say and people whose perspectives are also different than ours.
0: And something that's really fun about having a podcast in the midst of all of this, like the reason why these particular tools became tools that we referenced all the time is because we have this community that then takes these tools and runs with them and tries Mm -hmm. them out and modifies them or creates different little mnemonics for how to remember them, you know? So it's like this... Interesting collaborative feedback loop where, again, it's not just us creating a tool and then we're like, there it works because we say that it works and believe us, right? You know, and (laughs) as part of developing the book, we even literally sat down and almost did like little focus groups with our audience members around things like radar or the Triforce of Communication, like actually talking to people about. How have you been using this in your relationships? How have you modified it or change it? Is there anything that you've run into that you don't like about this tool? Is there anything that you wish this tool did differently? Do you struggle with explaining this tool to somebody? Or how do you explain this to a partner, right? And like getting so much actual real life information about how people are using these in their relationships, which is just amazing. Like not something we could have done if we were literally just writing a book out of the void. You know, so this book is very much connected to us having a community of like-minded relationship geeks who are also all into this kind of stuff.
3: hmm Yeah. I think also just something that right from the beginning with this podcast, we never set out to be, to be putting it out as like, we're the experts. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you why I'm such an expert and you should listen to me because of that. But instead, it's very much this we're going to do the research and we're going to present this to you. And if you see value in it, and if this seems like something useful to you, then listen to it and do it because of that value and not just because I'm somehow qualified to tell you what to do, right? So we we very much try not to use the word expert. Sometimes other people will use that about us and maybe we'll use it in like a tongue-in-cheek kind of way. But I think so many self-help books can fall into that category of, let me just tell you about all my degrees and all my research and all my whatever, so you should just listen to me, uh, rather than, let me just try to really convey this to you in a way that gets it across and you can take it or leave it, right? That if this works for you, and it does seem like it works for a lot of people based on the feedback that we get, uh, but just kind of being... Yeah, I guess being here because we're the ones who are willing to take that time and to try to do that work and to build that community and take that feedback, rather than coming at it from a place of we somehow know all the answers, but we're going to try to share some of the answers that we have found. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: which I think is again hugely admirable, right? It's often the people who show up and do the work, right? Is it perfect? No, but and right, you might get the email. I love it when you get the email from. I will, we'll call them like the armchair quarterback, right? They're like, you should do this, this, and this, and this. And I'm kind of like, well, you should make a podcast and do that. Like, I think that's a great idea, right? And, and so being the people to step up and do it, I mean, I think that's...
1: Should is a beautiful thing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but I, yeah. I think, too, we've seen so many of these tools. They come up on our show all the time. I can't tell you the number of times that people mentioned the radar uh Mm. the the radar um check-ins and yeah the the all the time all the time and (laughs) the triforce of communication we've started seeing that show up in our virtual community as well where Mm -hmm. people they're making a post and they'll be like hey this is a a t1 or this is a t2 and then they'll often in there be like for anyone who doesn't know here's what this means. Here's where it's from. Yeah. And then they post their that's thing. One and one. then like the feedback they get is amazing and it's what they wanted. And it's not where, where you go into any other form and somebody's like, Hey, I'm having this problem. And pretty soon it's like off the rails into mm-hmm. the woods. And you're like, well, how did we get here?
4: Yeah.
2: And, mm-hmm. and so it's been great from a community standpoint too. And so, yes. so
4: glad to hear that.
2: Yes, yeah. yeah. For us I too. think that's
0: been huge in our community as well. And, and I forget that because yeah, I think a couple of years ago, like I, You know, I've been studying Japanese for several, several centuries now at this point. (laughs) And so, like, I was posted in, like, the Learning Japanese subreddit once, where I was like, hey, I'm looking for this particular resource to help me with this particular skill. And then, yeah, first three comments are, like, either irrelevant or, like, well, you shouldn't have done that. Like really, you should be like, well, you probably shouldn't be focusing on that skill at all. And I'm just like, no, I just wanted this very particular thing. It's so easy <laughs> and like I think that derails conversations so quickly. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into why conversations online derail, but I do think that's a big fundamental part of it, right? Is that mismatch in you're just like I'm just having a crummy day because I just got dumped and I just want sympathy and I don't want someone being like Pointing out all the reasons why I (laughs) (laughs) yes, Yes, exactly. Yeah, and then our community has also now evolved into like the secret menu Triforce. Like Triforce number four is like memes. (laughs)
4: <laughs> Essentially,
3: <laughs> I think it's like Triforce 4 and it's whatever you want. So it's like, oh, it's like T4 discussion only or cute yeah. animal pictures. Yeah. Or like T4 <laughs> only jokes or, you know, people yeah. will make up whatever their T4 it's is. It's like the way
0: people create like the sixth love language. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Choose yeah. your own
3: adventure. I love yeah. it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, I love great. it.
2: Well, where, I mean, I'm assuming your website, our website, there will be links in all the show notes. We, we don't need to spell it all out. People will. People will find their way there. They're 300 episodes in at this point. They know how 400, the podcast works. 400 for
0: you, Four yeah. us, 300 yeah. for you guys. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah. yeah. Right. so okay, the, yeah. Got, the listeners are 300 in on your show. I got so we've you. got yeah.
2: 700 episodes of combined wisdom here. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, go
2: find the show notes and you find the link and you support the work, and we're all super grateful. And so. go
1: on some epic road trips and binge 700 episodes.
4: <laughs> wow, the longest yeah. road trip on. The history of the I
1: I would say
2: maybe that is a quick question that I would maybe to wrap it up would be somebody who's listened to all four hundred episodes, why why would they go and buy your book if they've already listened to everything? Is there is there some additional value that you all see there?
0: Oh, my question is, or my answer is not about additional value. It's like, if you've listened to 400 plus
4: episodes of our show, that must
0: mean you love us enough that like you're going to buy a book, no
4: question. Exactly. Or it means if they're like levitating off the ground. They right. just like know everything there is if to know in the world. you've
0: been with us since all the way back then, and all of our foibles and mistakes mm. and the days of really bad audio, I'm like, you love us enough that you would buy a book, no question. So that's not Perfect. really answering what you asked.
3: It makes well, sense, to get, though. To- To give a serious answer, though, part of what really pushed us to do the book was that we had put to our community, "What do you want us to? What what do you want to see us do next as a project?" And this was back in 2019, I think. And the the winner was a book. So even those people who are our core audience, who listen to all the new episodes Mm -hmm. as they come out, wanted a book. And I think part of it is having something in a written format, and also having something that you can share mm-hmm. with yeah. people who are not podcast listeners, because mm-hmm. not everybody is a podcast listener. Yep. thousand percent. Go for it, Emily.
4: That was it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Aaron, I guess it's an accessibility thing as well. Just some people would much rather sit down and read a book as opposed to listening to it. Anyone Who's deaf, for example, might be mm-hmm. much better reading a book as opposed to listening to a show. Of course, so or reading a long transcript of a show where we yeah.
3: meander. A book is going to be a more focused, yes, yes absolutely, well thing to read. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, and you can also yeah gift it. You know, like I know you can send people podcasts, but I feel like in a book it's something more tangible, and mm-hmm. some people that's just a better, uh, a more suited to them. Yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm super excited about it. And I mean, is there anything else we, we haven't asked about or talked about that, that any one of you would like to share out into the world? Not that you don't have your own megaphone, but to to our What's slightly diverse, you know, probably there. I know there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of overlap. But, yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, I, I think just to be more specific with where people can go, like mm-hmm. if they go to multiamory.com slash book, that's where you can find links to buy it in all the places on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, things like that. Um, uh, like, to be quite honest, you know, this has been such a labor of love. Like the podcast has already been a labor of love for nine years and writing this book as well, because people who have never published a book maybe don't know this, but... Um, you're not going to retire from book sales. You know, like, like this is is not a big (laughs) money-making venture for us. You know, like, really, it's about being able to just make some relationship tools and communication tools just more accessible to a wider audience. And also hoping that if this book does well, it's a little bit of a message of like, hey, relationship books that happen to include non-monogamous examples don't just get siloed to the weird dusty corner of the bookstore that also has all the erotica and stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that it's like, this is relevant to a lot of people and accessible to a lot of people. I think that that would be my hope and my dream.
2: Yeah. I love that. And and maybe since you touched on that piece, or there was a piece in there you touched on that I would love to ask, which is where's the best place to go buy it? So maybe we're not just fueling up Bezos' penis rocket version (laughs) two.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe indie bound. I mean, clearly, yeah, Amazon charts do matter. So yes, we always encourage people to do that. But if you do not want to fuel Bezos' penis rocket, which I completely understand, then Barnes & Noble, indie bound any of those places are fantastic as well. Got it. Yeah, really it's
3: it's if you have a local bookstore you like, you know, pre-order it with them, convince them to buy it. I know that indie bookstores are very hesitant to buy stuff that they don't know is going to sell, right? So the next Michael Crichton book comes out and they're like, yep, sure, we're going to buy a bunch He's of those. we've been dead know... for a
4: very long time, but well, sure. <laughs> okay, fine.
3: Stephen King then.
4: I'm just saying, but, yes, there you go. new, new Stephen <laughs> King book comes out or,
3: new, or J.K. Rowling puts out a new book or something. They're going to buy it because they know financially it makes sense for them. But for books like ours, unless they're really tuned in to the non-monogamy podcasting world, they might not know unless you go in and say, hey could you order this book? I'd like to buy it through you instead of through somewhere else. And they'll probably go, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I right. want people to buy books through us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so doing that really helps a lot. But even if you do buy it through the big publishers, that also helps to send that message to say, mm-hmm. this is a legitimate book. This is not just some kind of weird sex thing. This isn't something... Because we've really struggled with that with mm-hmm. bookstores and placement and publishers and stuff where they're like, oh, it's a sex book, right? Because you guys do a podcast about non-monogamy. And we're like, it's really not at all. <laughs> it's and they just the least sexy thing ever. It's not sexy.
0: <laughs> like, our show is not sexy. It's like, trust us.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the yeah. bottom line is, go buy it from wherever because we want to show that it is a valuable tool. Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect.
1: And I would argue that in some ways it is sexy because if you are good at these tools and you learn these tools, That's it sexy. improves your relationships and that is sexy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: so if the pages of your book are stuck together, I, I happen don't. to know why. It's good to know. I'll get a spare copy. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you all three of you for showing up here today and for doing all the work you do and for coming on to have yet another conversation with us. We appreciate it.
4: Thank, thank you. you so much.
3: Yeah. Thank you for all the work you do as well.
2: Yeah, of course. Thank and you. Have a wonderful afternoon. I'm trying to see what time of day it is. Take care
1: and we're back. A huge thank you to Dedeker, Emily, and Jace for coming on and sharing your stories and for all of the work that you've done with your book and the podcast, of course, and everything else. We had a fantastic time talking to you. And for anyone listening, if you want to check out their work, use the links in our show notes and you can find everything that we've discussed.
2: While you're in the show notes, you'll also see a couple of links to other previous episodes we did. We've actually had Dedeker and Jace on the podcast before. And you'd think if we spent six days preparing this intro (laughs) from earlier, we probably wouldn't have forgotten that. So I think the cat's out of the bag. We we made that part up.
1: (laughs) Jace was on episode 99 and Dedeker was on episode 104.
2: Yeah. Both amazing conversations that dig into their personal stories a little bit more. And so Definitely go check those out.
1: Yes. And next week, wait, a quick tonight, reminder. we've got things to Emma. Yes, a quick reminder that tonight is our virtual meet and greet. That is May 24th, 2023. We would love to have you join us. These are open to anyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. And you can sign up on our website under the events tab.
2: And I don't remember if we told people how to sign up for the community. We did. Did we? Yes. Well, that's good. It's under the community tab. It is, for anybody, on the website. For anybody who forgot like me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm 99.9% sure that we said that.
2: If not, they'll figure it out. <laughs> they all know how to use the internet. All right, next week.
1: We have an interview with Anne and Charles.
2: And it's beautiful. It is. This is, is a beautiful, beautiful conversation. And we look forward to that. We don't want to say much more about it. So we will see you all in a week. We hope you enjoy your copy of the new Multiamory book. Tools, essential tools, not just tools.
1: Essential tools.
2: Essential tools for modern relationships. Yep.
1: All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.